Amen. Amen. As we continue on uh, talking about stewardship, and realizing that everything we have comes from God, uh, we want to talk about today about withholding nothing. Withholding nothing. And so as we get on the subject, let me put you in a position about why sometimes we might hold on to things because we think that it might be an inconvenience or we don't want to let go of something just because we like it too much. For example, you might be looking to board an airplane and you have to pass the security protocols and you have to empty your pockets. You have to remove liquids and other uh, certain items that are uh, over. Will I be able to take it off with my earrings or my necklace? It might be something that might hold you up. But you take a chance. You say, you know what? It worked in the last one. I'm going to walk through this one. Beep, 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 beep. Now you got to pass through again. But here's the situation here. You know you're safe. You know you are not a threat. But now, how do other people see you? You know your perspective, how you're seeing yourself. And you thought you're doing good, but you should have just let go of everything. But you held back on something. And because you held on to those things that you thought it was good, now they want to check. Please take your, your watch off. Please take your, your belt off. All your pockets empty, and they're checking and making sure it's not the zipper. It's not something else in the process. And now you're on the side, and they're checking you. They're frisking you, and people walking by you, looking at you, kind of kind of with a little bit of a wandering eye, a fish eye, and you wondering, oh, is that person safe? Are they getting on my plane? I do not know. But, yeah, you know you're safe because you know who you are. Here's a challenge I want to understand you to understand today that from different point of views, people see you. You see yourself in one light and others can see you in another light. Some of them will base it on your past. Some might best base it on your presentation, how you're looking, and others might base it on what they expect of you. But everybody has a different point of view. And so here's a situation that that. You had changed your point of view of security just because you decided that you withheld something that you didn't think was going to get caught. If you just simply let it go, they would have let you go through because they would have scanned everything through the machine. But yet we have to choose. So you know where you want to go and you know how you see yourself and others may see you differently. Others may see you as a problem. Others might see you as a threat. It's based on different perspectives. We see that in modern today. Based on, uh, Dr. King said it, that he wanted, to, his dream was that we would be judged by the character and our conduct, not by the color of our skin. Everyone has a different perspective. People know you and see you in different ways, and they will judge you because of that. 
That's how Zacchaeus was judged. Zacchaeus was judged. We look into this text. We're introduced that he was a notorious sinner. New Living Translation points out. We find out his occupation, that he is a toll collector. He's a tax collector in Jerusalem. But yet we find out that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. And he does something to find him to be in his way. So I want to encourage us to understand, like we're going to look into this text. Don't let other people's judgment of you hinder you from being who God calls you to be, who God sees you to be. People see you one way. Their point of view is not the right point of view. Uh, Their their view changes from day to day. Uh, Yet you can understand that how God sees you has never changed. Oh, glory be to God. He loves you today just as much as he loved you the day that you, before you even knew your existence, knew your name. He loves you just the same. Tell your neighbor, Jesus loves me. And so here we go. We find Zacchaeus who wants to see Jesus in, in return. We find out Jesus wants to see him. Mm. Our text reads, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man their name Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Can somebody say very rich? He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. First, I want to highlight to us about Zacchaeus that he desired to know Jesus. Notice that he said, Jesus is coming this way. I want to see him. I encourage us that we too should have a desire to see Jesus. And to see Jesus, he has, we have to go where he is. That means that you can't go where you want and say, Jesus, show up. We want to be where he is. And, and here's the situation that we can find out. God lets us know where he's going to be. The Bible says, go and make disciples, right? So where can I find him while I'm out making disciples? Y- y'all catch that? He said, because he says, lo, I will be with you. Notice the instruction, right? Go do my work. I'll be with you. And when he sent them out two by two, he says that the, the labor is, the labors are few, but the work is plentiful. Pray for the God of the harvest to raise up more workers. So he's letting you know why you're doing my work. Don't worry about it. I got you. So what I'm trying to highlight to you, understand here that if you're doing his work, you're doing his will, you are in his presence. And in his presence where we find strength, in his presence is where we find peace. And so here it is that Zacchaeus says, I want to be where he is. But yet I have some roadblocks, I have some hindrances that are hurting me to get there. So uh, he said, I, I'm seeking after him. I want to see him, but yet I can't get to him. Now, so here's what he does. The text is very detailed for this reason. First, it tells us about his, his social status, that he's very rich. He's not just rich. He's very rich. Uh, so he's in that upper class. He's in that 1%. He's in that, the one that got, that got that long money. All right. 
And so he's the one that, you know, he can drop some hundreds and, and light a cigar with a hundred dollar bill don't mean anything to him. He's rich. But here's the situation about the status of rich people in this time of near ancient East. They don't run anywhere. They simply walk and people hold leaves and, and, uh, and parasails over them and they just leisurely walk like, yes, we are rich. We don't touch anything. Everybody holds stuff for us. That's what the rich do. That's the status. And yet, notice the text says, what does he do? He runs. Why does he run? Because he wants to see Jesus. This also points out to us that he humbles himself. That he does not worry about looking undignified because he wants to see Jesus. Anybody here not scared of being a fool for Jesus? So he understand that I'm going to humble myself because I just want to get in his presence. So if I have to run ahead because I, I believe I know the direction that he's going, I'm going to run ahead. And now think what he next does he do. It says he climbs a tree. The rich don't climb trees. No, that's like a little kid's game. That's no grown man to climb a tree. But yet I want to see him, so I'll be foolish for him if I can just get in the position to see him. Here's let me help somebody out today. There's been some times in our lives that we just did not want to humble ourselves because it was going to look foolish. We didn't want anybody looking at us. I, I, I've, I've participated in worship services and and they had the, the altar call open, and then I was dealing. I'm just talking about me. I know y'all been saved all your life. Y'all not had no problems. But the altar call came and says, we want to lift up prayer uh, for those who are in need, who, who are struggling. I'm like, man, that's me, but I want nobody else to know my business. So I, I was just standing there, but every time I was inching closer, because the Spirit let me know, go up there. And so I had to humble myself and start thinking about how other people were looking at me saying that it did not matter about them. I just want to get right with God. So I had to re- remove my own perspective of myself, say, God, how do you want to see me? And he wants to see me broken. He wants to see me humble. Because in, his, in my brokenness and in my humility, then I can be used by him. Uh, let me help you out. Some of you have purchased model sets or bought some toys for your children, and you have to put them together. In order for you to put them together, they, they some of them come in the package, and they're all connected. And then it says that you have to cut the pieces out. And so in order for it to become whole, they got to be broken. Y'all don't hear me. And so you have to break off those pieces and cut them out so you can put them together in the fashion and the form that they were meant to be. Let me help you out that you may not see the full picture, but if you just let God break you and mold you. He'll put you in a position and the place that he will want to put you. And I guarantee it's the place you'll want to be. Zacchaeus says, I'm willing to be foolish to see Jesus. He wanted to follow him. Notice that it says he runs ahead. Look, oh, y'all see that there in the text? It says he, he, he ran ahead, <laughs> going to pass that way. He, he said, I know where he's going. Hallelujah. Jesus makes it clear that he's looking for us. He says, 
I've come for the lost. We see that at the end of the text. He's reiterating that message. And I want you to understand that this is his journey to the cross. He's on his journey to Jerusalem to the cross. But on this journey, he decided he wants to stop by a notorious sinner's house. Thank you, Jesus, for stopping by my house. And some of y'all saying amen. Y'all know what y'all amen? Are y'all a notorious sinner? Oh, y'all got quiet now. Y'all with us hard. Amen. I'm a notorious sinner. I'm so glad he knows me. The reason why I'm glad he knows because I know he died for me. I want you to understand that we, we can't become so saved that we think that we did no wrong. We need to acknowledge that, Lord, I am a wretch in need of grace and mercy. And, and once we can understand our brokenness, once we can understand that we have issues in our lives, then we can understand I need help. There's people out there that need help but are in denial and they're not receiving the help they need because they say, I got this. Or it's not as bad. And yet you can see the physical and the emotional and the spiritual conditioning that they're in is not healthy. And they can see it's not healthy, but yet they have not come to the moment of acceptance that this is bad for me. You might have been in the room with some people and the doctor, the, the therapist, the counselor, the nurse, someone is telling them, saying, you got to make a change or it's not going to work out. And you can see whether they were going to resign to defeat and resign to defeat to say, oh, well, or they say, you know what, I'm going to fight. I'm going to make the change. And here's the situation. Zacchaeus has reached a moment. He says, I realize there's something missing and I want to make this change. Notice that it's not directly in the text, but indirectly shown in the text that he has faith in Jesus. Because only faith in him will make him run to be foolish, to climb a tree and be foolish just to get a glimpse of Jesus. But here's the situation. The text says all he wants to do is see him. The text makes it clear. All he wants to do is to see him. But look how what happens when he sees him, Jesus tells him what he wants to do. He said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Lord, have mercy. What's also implied here that is not maybe as natural in our, in our culture is that you are always to be hospitable. And so he is, he is now having the privilege. This is a privilege for someone to stay at your place. And so now he gets to become a host of someone who's famous. So you have the, the famous and the infamous <laughs> coming together. And the, and the people are, are understanding that yet, how can this man, who they say is a great teacher, respected in the community, going to go to the house of this notorious sinner? Y'all, y'all see that there in the text? Again, the perspective here, Jesus sees the case one way, the people see him in another way. Do you understand people judge you and talk about you? Y'all quiet on me. Some of y'all might not know, they smile in your face, but all the time. (laughs) They are trying to knock you down and not tell you about it, but they'll pat you on the back. I like you. All the time, I'm trying to take your spot. 
Brother Shaw, now we got a movie like, and we understand that's why when someone's in your way says, uh, you want my job? You ain't going to get it. <laughs> Check out the five heartbeat. Check out the five heartbeat. And so here it is that you can tell people that I know who I am. I don't have to prove myself to you. I just be who God has called me to be. And here's an here's a, here's a easy job description for you. Be you. Because nobody else can. And so know that God made you special and unique. And so here's the situation. Think about the uniqueness of the case. Because he was short, because he was rich, put him in the position to seek Jesus in a different way. If he was tall, he'd be like, what up? Just look over the crowd and be like, I see you. You see me. We good. Right? But because he was small, because he was rich, I put him in a position, I got to run to get ahead. I got to climb the tree to see him. And now that I've seen him, he's connected with me. And he says, I want to come to your house. Mm. Just think about how Jesus wants to come to your house. Revelation says, behold, I'm standing at the door knocking. Seeking for you to open the door me and so we can commune, we can sup together. Here's that same, that, that symbolism that's mentioned in Revelation, we see it in real life right here, that he's saying that I want to fellowship with you. I want to be in your house. Now here's the situation that many of us are in that when we are ashamed of our place, we don't let people in. We'll be like, no, maybe another day when I can plan for you to coming in um, but I'm not ready for you now but when you are desperate for help I'm, I'm, I'm help somebody out there. if you got a flooded base bed you know your house is not clean you gonna tell them wait y'all quiet on me. you gonna say come on in excuse the mess but you go on down and fix it up that's what we need to do with Jesus come on in excuse the mess but I know you're gonna fix it up I know you're going to restore, you're going to clean, you're going to help me remove the things that need to be removed in order for me to get right with you. But excuse the mess because I'm broken, I'm messed up, and that's why I need you in this place. So we should be open to receive the invitation just like Zacchaeus. So look what he did, look what he did in verse, in verse 6. Y'all still with me? Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. <laughs> Now, now no, notice that we never got the expression of his countenance until he got the invitation. And, and, and so when I think about this, that it did not say he was happy that Jesus was coming his way. He said, I got to see him. It didn't say he had joy when he was running. It says, I got to see him. But once he got the invitation, all of a sudden he had joy. Let me help somebody out today. Have you ever been there before that you on your way to the church, but you didn't have joy? But once you got there and the spirit was moving you like all of a sudden you got joy <laughs> and you start feeling good about yourself because you understood I'm in his presence. <laughs> He's welcomed me in this place. Somebody times we got to remind ourselves that he loves us. He cares for us. He wants to have fellowship with us. Then we go, my, I still got joy <laughs> because Jesus is the center of my life. 
as I think about this joy that he got from the invitation, it takes me back to a child I remember watching in third grade. I remember the space in the spot. I was sitting in my desk watching Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. And, and all of a sudden, when Charlie finally got the golden ticket, Grandpa got out the bed for the first time. He says, I got the golden ticket. You got the go." They started singing, dancing around the wall. Why? They got joy because they felt my life is going to change because I got this golden ticket. Let me help somebody out today. You not understand what I'm saying. Zacchaeus understand my life is about to change because Jesus is going to step in my house. So whatever used to be is not going to be because there's going to be a change in this place. So we can have joy in his presence and our brokenness and our realizing that in our in our state that we're in, he wants to change us. I want you to also grasp here that Jesus sees Zacchaeus not for what he has done. He sees him chains serving for the kingdom. I want to encourage us that we too to remind ourselves I'm not who I used to be. I'm not going to be, I'm not who I want to be. But I thank God he's working in me. Because we are constantly growing and changing. Tell your neighbor, he's coming back again. And so others may judge you and look down on you. Others may talk about you. But Jesus seeks to have fellowship with you. Mm. Because Jesus came to save the lost. And so look what happens. Once he comes into the house, again, it's not mentioned there, but faith is there. And then also it's not mentioned, repentance is there. The word repentance is not mentioned, but you see the fruit of repentance. This is what uh, Luke, third chapter, verse 12 and 13, gives us about John and his preaching in the wilderness. It says that people came out into the wilderness because they were hearing a man speaking about repentance and baptism. I, I wish there was a time that we will be living in today that every church was a field when people could come and just hear about repentance. I'm going to tell somebody here, not hearing how you're going to get rich, not hearing how you're going to get healed, but hearing about how you need to repent and, and turn from your sin. I want you to understand that John is now speaking a gospel of wealth and prosperity. He let people know that you are a sinner who needs to repent of your sins and give it over to God. People came out and said, what should I do? That's why we're looking at Luke 3, 12 and 13. It says, even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. <laughs> Here's the situation. Zacchaeus must have been doing that practice. He was covering more taxes than the government required. Now, I want you to understand Zacchaeus is not really a bad man. It was, he was just living in bad times. So he had some bad influences. He just wasn't evil because he was evil. He was influenced. Here's the situation. Here. You cannot be a tax collector to, unless you can prove you're going to get the money you're going to get. But yet they would say, I'll get this amount to get the contract. Say, hey, he said he'd give you a hundred. I'm gonna get you two hundred thousand. Bam, you got the job. Bam. Well, now for me to get two hundred thousand dollars, I gotta tell everybody you gotta pay more than what you really owe. And force you, shake you down. Oh, don't you don't you run from me? Go get them. That's what they did. They would walk with the soldiers and get the money, shake them. That's why they didn't like them. That's why they didn't like them. Because they were impressing, taking money from the people to send it back to Caesar. Render to Caesar, what is Caesar? 
And giving to God what is God. That's why they didn't like that. That's why they tried to trap Jesus, because they don't like paying Caesar. And so here it is. He says what? Meanwhile, he stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. He says, and if I, can somebody say and? If I have cheated people on their tax, I will give them back four times as much. I want you to understand here. He did not just stop at half. He said, I'm going to give back half to the poor. I only need to give 20%. But I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. But I'm not going to stop here. I'm not going to withhold that. But also, if I cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much. Even though it's required for me to do 20%, one-fifth. But I'm going to do 40%. My God. Leviticus 6, 1 and 5 tells us that if you look closely down, it says, for uh, verse 5, or anything obtained by swearing falsely, you must make restitution by paying the full price plus an additional 20% to the person you have harmed. He says, I'm going to go above and beyond. He wanted to not withhold what was right for doing what was wrong. So he was looking to be right with Jesus by living right from this moment on. He understood, you came into my house. I've been changed. I want to repent, show the fruit of my repentance, and show others how I've been changed. And and here it is. Jesus speaks out because they don't see what's happening on the inside. But he wants to say, well, salvation has come in this house. Y'all see that there in the text? Here's the situation I want you to understand. Everybody does not know what God is doing on the inside. But know that Jesus is speaking for you. How do I know? The Bible tells me that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible tells us that he says, if anything you ask in my name, my Father will give you. Why? Because I am blessing you. I'm covering you. I'm protecting you. And so he wants to be changed in his life. And so here's the thing I want to close out with is about he's obeying God's will. Salvation has come into the house. And so the question I ask you to you that do you understand that Jesus is coming back again? And so here's the situation now. We can be like Zacchaeus that are you going to go to meet him? Are you ready to meet him? He's coming back again. He's coming our way. I said coming. He's coming our way. I don't know the day nor the hour, but I know he's coming. And since he's coming, maybe I need to be like, maybe I need to humble myself. Maybe I need to change my behavior and show him that I've been changed by him. Maybe I don't need to realize that the stuff I've been holding on that's hindering my growth. So I need to not withhold anything and give it all to him. Tell you, let me give it all to Jesus. Let us surrender like Zacchaeus and be open to for the eternal fellowship with the Lord. Because he's coming back again. And he's coming back again so that he can be with us. That's why we cite that scripture at time of celebration of death, of life on this earth and celebrate their life with him. He says, I'm in my father's house. Is room with many mansions. I go what? To prepare a place for you so that when I come back, there you'll be with me also. And so, just like it's the case, we need to humble ourselves for his presence. Respond to his invitation. 
and knowing that he's going to come to fellowship with us and be with us. And so have we shown others that we've been changed? Have we been washed? Have we been renewed by the blood of the Lamb? And then that's where we can read in the scriptures text and we can ask the same question like the text of what must I do? Well, here's one thing you definitely can do. You can love your neighbor. You can be forgiven towards others. Grace is towards others so that they might know who Christ is because who he is in your life. Let us pray.